Good morning. The Lord be with you. Thank you. It's always an awesome opportunity uh, to be together here in Chapel E&C. With all else that's going on in my life and all that's going on in your life and the life of E&C and in the world in general, it's always good to be here. I cherish the opportunity to, to worship with you all. Thank you, uh, worship team, uh, for leading us. And I cherish it from my perspective in life, where I'm at in life, because it's an, an encouragement to see everyone in the sanctuary each time uh, worshiping their God, receiving the word of God. But all the more so, it's an encouragement to me because I think about where you're headed when you leave this place, both today and in one, two, three, four, or five years, depending on uh, your schedule as it goes. But I've been wrestling with something, and I'd like to explore it a little bit with you this morning. Um, I could be wrong about some of what I'm going to share today, and I invite you uh, to offer feedback, not during chapel, but later on. Um, and I'm not intentionally going to say anything wrong, um, but this is, the, this is what you do, what you risk when you stand in front of the church and preach. So, so have some grace and patience for me, if you would, this morning. But I've been wrestling with something that isn't lining up for me in terms of what we do in the space of worship and what we do or don't do when we leave the space of worship. And that's what we're going to look at. I think it's very, very important. So uh, as we begin this morning, I want to pray. Uh, but if you want to take a Bible and turn to Amos chapter 5, we'll be looking at verses 4 to 6 and 21 to 24. But let's pray as we come to this. Father, I pray for myself. I pray for these, your people. And I pray for us together as the church. Help us to receive your word and make it flesh by your spirit and in Christ. Amen. Amos 5, verse 4. The Lord proclaims to the house of Israel, seek me and live. But don't seek Bethel. Don't enter into Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal will go into exile and Bethel will come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live. Or else God might rush like a fire against the house of Joseph. The fire will burn up Bethel with no one to put it out. Doomed to you who turn justice into poison and throw righteousness to the ground. Verse 21. I hate. I reject your festivals. I don't enjoy your joyous assemblies. If you bring me your entirely burned offerings and gifts of food, I won't be pleased. I won't even look at your offerings or well-fed animals. Take away the noise of your songs. I won't listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A man had a dream. He said, I dreamed that I died and went to heaven. St. Peter was there as the gatekeeper of heaven, and he opened the gates to welcome me. Great to see you, he said. I smiled, and as I peeked in, I saw this whole assembly of people singing with all their hearts, every single person with their hand raised and a huge smile on their face. It was one big eternal worship service. Hmm, I thought. I shrugged and thought I'd get used to it. But as I was just about to step into heaven, I noticed some of my friends who were there outside the gates. My friends who were hurt, lost, 
and confused. Some of them had dabbled in other things. Some Buddhism, some atheism, others God knows what. I said, Peter, what about, what about my friends? He looked at me and said, well, you know the rules. And, I, and as I lifted my foot to cross over into the threshold of heaven, I remembered my reference point, my example, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, the friend of sinners. Jesus, the outsider. Jesus, the hungry and unsatisfied one. Jesus, the bastard child. Jesus, the mocked one. Jesus, the one in chains. Jesus, the one who always preferred to stand with those who are oppressed. And I said, I said you know what, Peter? I think I'll stay out here with these. I'll keep them company. And then Peter smiled. And he said, at last, at last we have one who understands that God so loved the world that he forsook heaven. God, through, the Amos, through Amos the prophet this morning, says to the people of God, I hate your festivals. I reject your festivals. Take away the noise of your songs. Take away the melody of of your instruments. If you want it in Peterson's paraphrase of the message, it says, I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and all the things you do together in conventions. I want nothing to do with your religious projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I've had all I can take of your ego music. You know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want righteousness, rivers of it, fairness. That's what I want. That's all. I want. In context here in Amos, God is speaking through Amos, who's a prophet, during a time in the northern kingdom of Israel. Amos, the prophet, and the prophet's role is always to speak to the, to the power of those who are in leadership. And the leader at the time, the king of the northern kingdom of Israel during Amos' ministry was Jeroboam II. And scholars tell us that during the reign of Jeroboam, the economy of Israel was booming. Israel had finally matched all the nations around them, even surpassing them to a point. And the population was strong, and the rich were making money. These were good times for the nation-state of Israel. But in steps Amos, and the ministry of Amos, and God speaking through Amos, and these very strong words for the people of Israel, I hate it. I hate your festivals. Take away the noise of your songs. Apparently, despite the success of the nation state of Israel, Israel was failing as the people of God. Despite all that was going well for them, they weren't living up to what God had called them to do. Something was drastically missing. And I'll give you the conclusion here at the beginning. Stay with me through the end. But I'll give you the conclusion here. The people were not taking care of the poor among them. Things were not fair for all people. Justice was absent and righteousness was missing. The people were apparently gathering for worship regularly. God does not say, I hate that you're not worshiping. He says, I hate how you're worshiping. Sacrifices were being made and assemblies were ongoing, but God apparently is sick of it. I hate your festivals. Take away the noise of your songs. Now, this isn't exactly about music, but it also is. Let's talk about music for a minute. Well, I'm going to talk about it for a minute. I love music. I love it all. Uh, most, most all music. Uh, I listen to a lot of various, various forms of music. I love the old stuff. I love new stuff. 
I play the piano. My kids take music lessons. My, my great-grandmother was a music teacher. My grandmother played the violin. My wife is a singer. I could go on and on. I love music. And I love the church's music, most of it these days. I love the old stuff. I love the new stuff. When I became pastor at North Street Community Church here, over here in Hingham, the first paid staff member we hired was somebody to lead us, mostly musically, in worship. And she still does to this day. I think that music is a powerful vessel for the expression of emotion. And so it plays a central role in the space of worship. But I'm concerned. I'm concerned that as I seek the word and, and think about the heart of the kingdom of God, it seems for so much of the church today, music has become the central vessel of our worship and dedication to God. And I'm thinking about these things because I fear that the, the music of Christians today, while formative, primarily concerns itself with the things of emotions, of how I feel. I, I understand what I'm saying, how I, how I feel. We know we go to church and we'll measure it a little bit in terms of how much I felt that day, right? The, the reason humans love music so much is because of the deep and raw emotion that it so quickly gets to. Music is an expression of who we are and what we're feeling, and, and it's a wedding between words and, and melody and harmony and instruments and teamwork. And it, it gets to us very quickly and powerfully when it comes to our emotions. And it's an outlet for us. It's good for praise, indeed. But the problem is that the central things that the kingdom of God calls us to aren't music. And it's not even about praise. It results in the glory of God, for sure. Everything in the kingdom of God, if it goes right, results in the glory of God. But the central call of the kingdom of God, as we know it from Christ's teachings, is shaped and formed not by music or praise, but by the things of justice and righteousness. In our word today, sacrificial love. I want to propose to you that the sacrifice that God seeks from his people cannot be done through music. Music might be able to form and shape us. We are shaped by this. It's a teaching tool. We, we remember things better. This is why we teach our kids the ABCs to music, because we want them to remember it, and they do. But the central call of the sacrifice that God in Christ asks us for can only be done outside the space of musical worship. This is what God is saying through Amos when he concludes, I hate your festivals, do away with your music, and instead, let justice roll down. And let righteousness flow. You see, the problem is that Christian love isn't about feelings. Loving God and loving people isn't about how I feel. It's about what I do. It's kind of like so, some of us, many of us, are stuck at teen camp. Now, teen camp is great. Don't get me wrong. I love teen camp. I've sent my kids. I will continue to send my kids. It's very formative for me. It was, it's formative for my kids. I know it's very formative for many of you in your lives. But this isn't teen camp. You are no longer at teen camp. Men and, men and women of ENC. There comes a point where, when, if we are going to mature in Christ and move onward to the real love of Christ, there comes a point when we have to grow beyond what, call, what Paul calls the milk of faith. Now, there's nothing wrong with milk. Nothing wrong with it. It's just that we shouldn't stay living on milk alone. We must move to the meatier things of faith and get to that by which God really wants his love to be at work through how we live the things of justice and righteousness. 
men and women of the NC, you are not the church of tomorrow. And actually, you never really were. There is no church of tomorrow. There's only the church of today, and that's you and that's me. And God doesn't have you here simply to get the warm and fuzzies during chapel and musical worship. You are here today because you are being formed into the people of God who are going out to sit with the lonely, to eat with those who you don't really want to eat with, and to wrestle with the difficult situations of the world. Again, hear me, hear me clearly. You can get your spiritual jollies through musical worship. And we need that. It's formative for us. That's fine and likely necessary. But if all the spiritual jollies you get are in the space of musical worship, you are missing out on the central call of the kingdom of God. If my central idea of worshiping God is that which happens during music, or here in chapel, or at church, or my alone time with my earbuds, if that's my central idea of worshiping God, I'm falling way short of the powerful call that God has for my life and through my life. And the big problem is that so many of, so many of the songs being produced today uh, don't help us with this. They seem to lend themselves to this idea that, that music is the point of it all. The pastor in me wants to be very careful this morning because I know that different songs are important for different people. But let's just talk about some of these lyrics for a minute. Sometimes when I'm standing there singing, I have to just step back and ask myself, whoa, whoa what did I just say? What was I just asked to sing? And part of this is my desire to, to live up to that, you know, which comes out of my mouth. I want to do that. But what did I just, I just sang, my heart turns violently inside my chest. Uh, that's not my experience. Like, I, I haven't actually felt that. And by the way, if you actually are feeling that, I encourage you to get that checked out. Probably not too good. My heart beats, uh, excuse me, turns violently inside my chest when I think about the way he loves me. In the end, God doesn't call us to think about his love. Love isn't about sitting or standing there thinking about it. Love isn't an emotion or a feeling or a thought. Christian love is always an action. We often will need to wrestle intellectually with it, and we'll need to think about what love means and wrestle with the scriptures and theology in the classroom or in Bible study, and, and we will talk and think in those moments, but if we only talk and think about the way God loves us, we're going nowhere. We've done nothing. Christian love, as Christ so deeply and sacrificially shows us, always results in the choice to do something. Or not, depending on the situation. And, th and there's a world out there just waiting for Christians to do something. Too many Christians today are paralyzed by what happens in musical worship and, and even study. And they never get to what Jesus primarily calls us to, acting out. Jesus calls you to act out, to act out the love of God. Let's talk about kissing for a minute. This whole thing in our worship songs, both new and old, I'm not ripping on new stuff, you can open the hymnal and find some of this too, where we seem to think that the best image for describing our relationship with God must come in the form of romantic language. You know, whether it's the PG-13 sloppy wet one or the more common G-rated unforeseen one, you know the language I'm talking about, right? Now, now, clearly, is relationship with God deep and powerful? Absolutely. Is it personal? In great part, yes. Relationship with Jesus is very personal. But it's primarily corporate. It's the beloved community. 
And this preference for personal romantic language mixed with the primacy of, of the corporate things we do in worship, I mean, that could lead us down some really disgusting and dangerous roads. For we are formed and shaped together in community. The, the scriptures do talk about kissing, though. You've heard it, right? In Psalm 85, the psalmist, the biblical worship leader, is talking about what God really wants. And he, and he writes in Psalm 85, verse 8, Let me hear what the Lord God says, because he speaks peace to his people and to his faithful ones. Don't let them return to foolish ways. God's salvation is very close to those who honor him, so that his glory can live in our land. Faithful love and truth have met. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth springs up from the ground, and righteousness gazes down from heaven. Yes, the Lord gives what is good, and our land yields its produce. Righteousness walks before God, making a road for his steps. This is what, what worship is meant for us, uh, what it's to be for us, that it shapes us to go out and live. Here, in this space of worship, we receive God's word through music and through reading and through what I'm doing right now, preaching and teaching, and then we go, as Christ did before us, we take the word that we've received and we make it flesh how we live out there. Speaking of Christ, this is where I could be wrong, and I'm, I'm inviting you to do some research and let me know how I'm wrong. But when, when it comes to Christ in the Gospels, in the Bible, there are only, that I could count, there are only three times that Jesus says anything or does anything at all that has to do with music. And these are the three times, just really briefly. One time, some music, musicians are playing something. He actually tells them to go away in the context. You can read it in Matthew chapter 9. And a couple chapters later, he compares his own ministry to that of a child playing the flute that no one listens to. And then the third time is the night before he dies for us. He's with the disciples and it says, after they sang the hymn. So it's kind of a, a hymn. It's kind of a, 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 just a mention in passing. That's all I can, if you can find more, I'd love to hear, but I've been looking for a couple years now. These things that, that I'm not saying we don't sing, but we just can't let it be the thing for us in the church. So what does Jesus give us? If music isn't the central vessel of kingdom expression, if it's not all about the show we can put on, on Sunday morning or, or here in chapel, then what does Jesus give us? I mean, when Jesus wants us to remember who he is and what he's done for us and what he wants us to do, what does he say? He says, to remember me, I want you to sing about what I've done and think about it really hard and make sure you're passionate, passionate about it when you do. No, that's not, in, that's not in there at all. In fact, he doesn't even say, I want you to do a Bible study. Make sure it's really long and you get everything. Um, make sure you get the, both, both languages uh, of the original text and, and every nuance of everything. Now, if you leave this morning and you tell people that I said we shouldn't sing in worship or that we shouldn't be diligent in our Bible study, you're not listening very well. Or maybe I wasn't very clear, and if so, a pox on me. But the point of the matter this morning is that we find the original point that Christ has given us and who we are to be and what we're to do. The point is that music and study aren't the main point in the kingdom of God. Christ's ministry in us and through us, again, is the point. We are the temple. We are, we are the space of worship. When we go out and we live what Christ has asked us to live, the body of Christ is the vessel in which and through which God is worshipped, and we do that by how we live. And Jesus does tell us how to remember what he has done and what it is that should shape us to be his people in the world while we're together, when we're together. He does say, when you gather, do this to remember me. 
And you're with me now, right? He gives us a meal. He sits us at a table, and he says, do this in remembrance of me, and this is the consumption of my body and my blood. All of us, together at one table. A table. It's not like he only does it once the night before he dies, either. In every aspect of Jesus' ministry, he demonstrates to us that the work of God is done around tables. Tables. Meals. Food. We remember in the very beginning, at the, at the creation story, the very first thing God gives them. He said, hey, here's some food. Enjoy it. This was the, apparently the original point and, and desire of God to see his creation together and, and eating and enjoying with one another. Today, food is such a, a passing commodity for us in our, in our overabundant society, right? I mean, you just run in the cafe now and in between classes because you're just supposed to eat what you got to do. But the biblical mindset when it comes to food is it's something we sit and it lasts with us and in us and through us and together and we have discussions and, and Jesus does this throughout. But when we come to worship, this table that's here on Sunday mornings, uh, it serves for us to be the, the thing that, that we come all together at one and we allow it to, the narrative of the story, what Christ has done on the cross and off the cross and out of the tomb becomes the narrative of how we are going to live. We are to be a people of hospitality. That's what a table is. This is what it means to be a community that is loved. And this is Amos's conclusion. Justice, righteousness, the things that can only happen in community. We can sing about these things, but we cannot sing them into being. Justice and righteousness must come through who we invite to the table. You will always have, um, as human beings, as those who desire to follow God, if you do, you will always have the opportunity to do justice and to seek righteousness, wherever you go. You always have the opportunity. But it might be true that the, that the diversity of ways that you have the opportunity to do justice and seek righteousness will never be as big and broad as it is for you right now in the years you spend on this campus. Do you like chapel? Good. Come. Every single one, come. Do you like late night? Good. Come. More of you. Go to every single one. Do these things make you feel great? Great. Go to them. But don't you dare let the spiritual sillies you get during these times be all the work that God does for you during college. You must go. You must do. And it doesn't have to be in Africa. It doesn't have to be in Central America. You can do it everywhere you go. I commend to you the book by Brother Lawrence, Practicing the Presence of God, which, in, in which he speaks about with everything that, you, everything that you have, whether you're washing the floor, studying a book, having a conversation, or sitting there picking the grass, you have opportunity to do what God wants you to do in life. But you must go and intentionally do it. Seniors, in just a few months, you won't be here anymore. And you have choices to make today that will shape what you do then. You're going to have choices after you walk that platform, but the choices will become fewer and fewer. But make good choices. You'll have degrees and the choices that you make concerning job and place to live. You'll be tempted by many factors to make those choices. You will have choices in terms of what church you're going to worship at. But don't let how good the music is or how awesome the presentation is on Sunday morning sway you. May that not be the main determinant of what community you'll be a part of. In fact, I dare you. I dare you to find the smallest, closest church to where you live. And, and commit yourself to that place and seeking whatever you can do through that church or for that church. God's given you a lot by being here at ENC. I think, I think you know that. So, so give it all back to his kingdom in corners that others won't choose. You know why singing the doxology 
the end of chapel each week feels so powerful to many of you. I don't know if everyone feels that way. I feel that way. I, I, I love it. You know why I think it feels so powerful? I think it's because of the simplicity of what we're doing in those, what, 25 seconds? There's no grand show in our a cappella singing of the doxology. It's just God and God's people declaring the simple yet praiseful testimony of what God has done and what God is doing. The space of worship, and I end with this, the space of worship is a place to catch your breath. It's a place to come in and to allow God to, to, to rest you for a minute or two. You remember that in the beginning, God created a body for the human, right? Everything the body needed to live except for breath. And the body would only live when, when God would uh, breathe the spirit. That in breath and spirit, same word in Hebrew, same word. And so the breath and spirit that God breathed into the body, then the body was alive. You know what the root word of inspire is? Spirit. And so every time we come in here, we are to be inspired by the Spirit of God. That when we go out there, we we would live the whole rest of the week or the rest of the day, however often you come to worship. We would let the Spirit of God come alive in us and inspire us to do the work. The work of God does happen in here. That's what liturgy means. The work of the people according to God. But the true work of us, the true work that he has for us to be sacrificial lovers in the world happens out there. So, so come here, but then let the breath of God inspire you throughout the rest of the week to go and do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God in every place that you go. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Would you pray with me? God, we have heard your word today. You have been faithful to it. And we are grateful. God, thank you for the reminder that we are not only the church when we are gathered together, but we are also the church when we are sent. So God, as we as we sing final words today, may it not just be the end of who we are in you, um, but let it be that, um, that thing that compels us, that gives us a kick in the pants, that sends us out to interact with people, people who need uh, to see the Spirit alive in us. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me and let's sing. Praise God from whom